What if every song on the radio were the same? What if all of our music were the same key, the same subject, the same tempo? It would be boring and we would stop listening. But God is not boring and neither are his songs, which means we can come to him in any and every emotional state we find ourselves in. Pastor Doug Logan says, God is worthy of praise, even on a bad day. He's good because of who he is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for his good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in his songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. Hey guys, good to see you. I'm Dale, lead pastor of City Life. It is uh, most crowded on this side, but I just want you to know it's the warmest on that side because it's by the door. So if y'all, you know, want to move during the sermon, I would not be weirded out if you moved over. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like the air conditioning is pumping over here and the, the door is open over there. We know it's hot. Um, so today's uh, message is entitled, uh, Hope for the Drowning. And... Uh, um, I'm just going to jump straight in. So here's the deal. Do you have like pump up music? Does anyone have pump up music? Like music that fits your mood. Like you have something that you want to do and you listen to a certain band, a certain style. Um, like I'm a master of this. Okay. Like there's not a lot of things I take a lot of confidence in. You know, one of them is my Maya Angelou impression, which you'll have to hear one day. And then the, the other is that I think I, I can pick some music to fit the mood. And so what that means is if I'm cooking Italian food, I got a nice Italian mix on my Spotify. It means if I'm cooking Mexican food, uh, I'm going to have some good Mexican music. And I've actually had Mexicans come help me to make it a better set list. Uh, when I'm making Chinese food, I have a Chinese food set list. And, um, and I have Thai, I have Japanese. I mean, it's funny. But like, I just like to listen to the style of music of the food I'm eating. And it's, it's kind of fun. It gets me in the mood for it. I even have a seafood mix that it is a work in progress because it's got like the Jaws theme, uh, like the SpongeBob theme. There's not really much to it, so we don't we don't quite use that one yet. But music just pumps me up for stuff. And um, so today, um, with your permission, I'm gonna play you a few different songs, and maybe you can guess what these songs pump me up for. Okay? So we're gonna try a few songs. Uh, this first one. Why don't we start it around uh, 12 seconds, and then let's see if you guys know what this pumps me up for. Cleaning, no. Okay, so for me, it's Montel Jordan. This, this pumps me up for barbecuing. Like, I feel like if, if it's like a time to like hang out, this, this is a backyard barbecue mix. Uh, so Montel Jordan, like, it's Friday night. I feel all right. So, okay, we can switch. Stop now. Okay, now um, this next one is going to terrify some of you guys, and you're going to think I have a demon. Um, but this is another type of music. Don't have this one too loud. 
This is something else I listen to. Okay, here, play it. No. Okay, well, we'll. No, but this is good for barbecues, too. Okay, so it's kind of confusing. You don't have to get, I don't know if you want to get. This gets me pumped up for summer. So like at the end of, at the, end of the spring, like if, if I'm not listening to this, then I'm not excited enough for summer and I need to listen to Will Smith singing Summertime. Okay, you can stop it. Um, it's out of order, so I'm going to have to guess which one is which. Okay, go ahead, hit the next one. What does this get you pumped up for? Christmas. That's right. So when I'm listening to this, I am pulling down my Halloween decorations, okay? Because like, I'm getting pumped up for Christmas. So, uh, yes, Charlie Brown Christmas, I get pumped up for Christmas. Okay, give me, give me the next one. Okay, move up to 25 seconds. This one takes a long time to get started. Surfing, yes. Yes, sublime. You guys, I heard three people get that one. And uh, longboarding music. Oh, I don't know. Sublime is longboarding music. I don't know. Okay, uh, go ahead. Let's see what the next one is. This one is... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you guys what this one's for. Okay. Do we, have, do we have one more on there, or is it not there? I might have missed one. Okay. Well, that's good, because I had one other song, and it's this, like, hardcore metal song, and it was, like, terrifying, and it's what I would use for running. But apparently, I guess God took it off the list, because he, he didn't want me to scare you guys. But here's the thing. You don't have to leave this on for the rest of my sermon. Girl, I want to tell you about Jesus. Um, so... Uh, so here's what we're doing today. Today we're going to be in Psalm 130. Now, Psalm 130 is a psalm of ascent. And, uh, you know, what's a psalm of ascent? I'm so glad you asked. Here's the thing. A psalm of ascent was to be for worshipers as they ascended the hill, as they went to the temple, as they went up the steps to the temple. Um, this, there's a few psalm of ascents. There's 15 um, that are in the Old Testament in the, the psalms. And the point was, is they were meant to pump you up on your journey as you went to the temple. Pump you as, you as you walked up the steps to get you excited as you made the long journey from your home. You might have lived far away from Israel, but you had 15 songs that you were going to sing on the way that said, we cannot wait to be in God's presence. Now, the cool thing is, is because we're not in Old Testament times, we don't have to wait to be in God's presence. He's here. But we can still, in the same way, consider celebrating what it means to come into God's presence. And so you would sing this in a big old group as you guys traveled. You might have your family, probably not on like a covered wagon, but you know, you would be making that journey to the temple and you would be excited and you would sing these songs. And it, this was your road trip mix, right? Um, you were reminding yourself on your trip to go worship God with all of Israel. You're reminding yourself, isn't he so good? Even when I'm bad, even when things seem bad, even when things are hard, he is so good. And so that is what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at a psalm of ascent, and uh, it's our hope for the drowning. So let me read to you from Psalm 130. Now, we have Bibles available in the back. You can pull up a little app. If you're an auditory listener, you can listen and check my work later. Um, but we like to always have people with Bibles open because um, we want you to check my work. We don't want you to just take my word for it because, you know what, I'm just not a, a perfect person, and, and 
there's some, some issues with me all the time. So you need to listen and make sure this is truly from God's word. So let me read to you now from God's word. Psalm 130, 1 through 6. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. That's God's word. Would you please pray with me? Father, today we thank you for the gift of life. You have offered us this day, this, this one more day that we know of. You've offered us another day to sing, another day to celebrate, eat, sleep, and be with those people that we love and to have hope. But God, even as we have things to be stoked about in this life, God, we also grieve. Um, many of uh, our friends and our family suffer. They suffer from mental illness, from addiction, from despair, from depression. Some suffer apart from your love, and so we ask that you would do something here in our community, that you would wake up those who slumber and show them your love is a new thing for them in tangible ways. Father, we, we love to be involved in that. Um, we'd love it if you would trust us to share that gospel with them, but this morning, we need you to teach us. We ask that your word would cut us in the heart, that we might feel your presence and learn from your word. Would you set the captives free, O oh God? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. So a couple years ago, we had a, a baptism service over at Mission Bay. Um, some of you guys were there. It was pretty cool. I liked it. One of the things that I didn't know um, was that uh, Mission Bay has, like, riptides. Um, did, did you guys know that? That, like, Mission Bay, will play, apparently people did. Um, but I didn't know that. Like, I knew about the ocean. I knew all about it. I knew ocean safety. Um, and then I remember uh, our friend Tan over here comes up to me. He's like, hey, bro, is your daughter supposed to be that far out? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. And then me and Derek, our, uh, our police officer, like, started swimming out to go get her. Um, and um, it was not her fault. Like, she didn't know. Her dad didn't tell her that there was, a, like, a current that would pull you out into the middle of the bay. Um, but we swam as fast as we could together. And um, I remember, like, A, I outswam Derek, okay, you know, so I just want to make sure he knows that. Um, uh, but I just remember, like, as a father, seeing my child um, where she was at risk, um, I had no thoughts of being mad at her. When she came in, I wasn't mad at her. I'm not mad at her to this day. There was nothing to be mad at her about. She drifted, and she, she found herself in a place where she needed to be rescued. And as a father, all I thought was, I love her, and I want her safety. And in many ways, uh, sometimes we feel like in the depths that we are on the verge of drowning. And, and I'm here to say to, to you today that, that God, God loves you, God cares for you, even when you feel like you're far from him, even when you feel like you've drifted, even when you feel like you've sunk down to the depths, that God is present and he loves you. And so today, I give us three rays of hope for us weary sinners. That's three rays of hope for us weary sinners. And my first point is this. We can cry out to God even in sin and hopelessness. We can cry out to God even in sin and hopelessness. We can cry out to God even if he's told us over and over and over again what is right. And we've disobeyed over and over and over and over again. 
Because that's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of father he is. A loving, compassionate, caring God. Verse 1 says, Out of the depths I have called to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? Now, it's interesting when you look at context here, one of the things that's important to notice is that we have him saying, out of the depths I call to you, Lord. And then he says, if you kept an account of the iniquities. Now, I am going to make, um, make a guess along with like most biblical scholars that what he's saying is, in the depths is not necessarily people hunting him down, people coming after him, but in the depths is, is, is the the strength of his sin that has held him down, that he finds himself under, that he finds himself in a low place, and it is his sin that has put him there. Um, and it is there that he calls out to God, and he says, God hears. Out of the depths, deep in my sin, deep underwater, I cry out to you, Lord. I'm in so deep, I can barely make out the light anymore of the sun. I don't know which way is up. And when I call out to you, still you hear me. Now, um, Charles Spurgeon once said, and I got three quotes from Spurgeon today. He's that old English dude, and he's amazing, and he speaks on this. And I think Spurgeon speaks well from this because Spurgeon struggled with mental illness. Spurgeon struggled with depression. Spurgeon was thought to be bipolar. And a lot of times he found himself in places where he felt like he was making poor decisions, and he was in the depths. And still he cried out to God. So you're going to hear a lot from Spurgeon. I won't do it in the English accent as much as I want to. So Spurgeon once said, he said this, beneath the floods... Prayer lived and struggled. Yea, above the roar of the billows rose the cry of faith. It little matters where we are if we can pray, but prayer is never more real and acceptable than when it rises out of the worst places. Prayer is never more real and acceptable than when it rises out of the worst places. So it's important here to think and consider that the psalmist is not saying, I'm not like those other guys. He's saying, I am going to own my crap, Lord, and I don't know how to get out of this depth. I need you to pull me out. As a pastor, it's always funny to me um, when I'm around people who tell me that they're good. Like, oh, I do good things. I'm a good person. I'm good. And they have no understanding of how much they truly need God, how in debt they are to God. Uh, I actually might think that perhaps they're lying to me or to themselves because they're not good, just like I'm not good. But for some reason, as humans, appearances matter so much to us. It matters so much to us what people think about us. And we want people to know that we're not drowning, we're good. We're not struggling, we're good. When someone tells me they have absolutely no struggles in their life, that's when I know they're not in a good place. I will be honest with that. Because everybody struggles. Everybody sins. Everybody needs a savior. Otherwise, we wouldn't have one. It's insidious like that. Our desire, especially I would say in America, to be good. How you doing? I'm good. Tired. That's usually what we'll say. That's kind of like our admonition that like, oh, it's not perfect, but we're just tired. We're never going to take any admission that we might have struggled, that we might be... Um, in depression, that we might be uh, not going through a good season. Um, on the other end, though, have you guys heard of this guy, Martin Luther? He started this thing called Lutheranism, or the Protestant Revolution, or like basically every Protestant church. Um, he was so obsessed with being forgiven. Um, when he was a Catholic priest, he would go to the confessional booth. Y'all know what that is, right? Like you've seen on TV. He would go to the confessional booth for hours at a time. Hours. To the point that the other priests would call him a gold bricker. Um, which uh, in, in many ways, the idea was they were saying that Luther was making up sins so that he wouldn't have to work. Um, 
But actually, when you read his writings, when you read Luther's journals, he was so aware of his need for God. He was so aware of his sin that he was constantly crying out for forgiveness. Now, do I think that he was super healthy about it? Probably not. Um, but I do think there's probably a little bit of a chasm between Luther and where we as Americans who have all our stuff together um, are. And I think that there's probably a place in the middle where we own our sin, where we're honest, and where we say, we need God. Luther was known to say this, what can I do to win a gracious God? Oh, my sin, my sin, what shall I do with my sin? In the same way, the psalmist is saying he's drowning in despair, sin, and sadness. Now, uh, because I, I, I've read this idea of the depths and drowning and this idea, I looked up what is it like to drown, because, you know, that's what your pastor does during the week. Um, and it says that when people find themselves on the cusp of drowning, they enter this state um, of preservation, and it's called instinctive drowning response. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of this instinctive drowning uh, response, but basically it's like this. The body decides that you are going to drown. Like the body has, has made its decision. Okay, we're drowning. This is it. And it's almost like your body like, takes this like, nice Valium, and um, as your lungs begin to fill with water, you begin the process of dying. Now here's how it's described. This is like super encouraging message. Yeah, buddy. Okay, don't worry. It'll get better. Um, here's what it says about drowning, um, about instinctive drowning response. I read this recently. Voluntary movement becomes impossible. The person tends to bob listlessly, head thrown back, mouth level with the water. The eyes may be glassy or altogether closed. The legs do not kick and the arms are held laterally against the body. The body is held vertically. The instinctive drowning response is so undramatic that people often succumb, even with lifeguards and other swimmers around. So here we see that the psalmist is recognizing that he's drowning, that he's floating in the depths. He's asking for help. He's pleading for help. He's confessing his sins so that he might be saved, but he is unable at this point to splash around anymore. At this point, it's done. He's, he's, he's through. He's drowning. Um, in Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, it says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God is saying it's not too late. It's never too late to reach out to God. It doesn't matter where you've been. Friends, let me reiterate, it is never, ever too late to call out for God. Uh, a Bible scholar from Central African Republic says this. His name is Nupanga Wianzana. I'm sorry. When we call out to God in impossible circumstances, we are demonstrating that we still trust in him and are appealing him to act. The psalmist recognizes that he has no right to demand that God act on his behalf. He humbly admits that he has sinned. And Spurgeon adds, uh, He that prays in the depth will not sink out of his depth. He that cries out of the depth shall soon sing in the heights. So friends, what we see is when you find yourself helpless, unable to care for yourself, struggling, struggling with your sin, like, man, why did I do this thing again? Like, I told God I wasn't going to do this again. And you find yourself there. I want you to know that there is a God who will hear you when you cry out to him. When the psalmist calls out of the depths, he still has hope. No matter what sins you've committed, friends, if you are still breathing, you can still find forgiveness, and he is not far off. You see, when you're drowning in your own despair or sin or struggle of circumstance, God never looks down at you and he says, dang, 
again? You're drowning again? And I, I know, gosh, being a father even, I know that almost no one has had a father that just goes, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like we've always had the dad that's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Again? You're doing this again? You're writing on the walls again? This is the kind of dad that we all kind of picture God to be like, don't we? Yeah. Just that, that quick like, Really? And for those of us who have had abusive fathers, we even think of God even worse. Yet this is not who God is. When he looks at us and he sees us drowning, he looks down and he does not look at your weakness. Listen to me here. He does not look at your weakness. He looks at his strength. So when you are drowning, he looks at his strength and not your weakness. And that is such good news, friends. So this is what our second point is. It is that God is worth waiting for. It says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. He repeats that. God is worth putting our trust in. God is worth waiting for. In verse six, I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. So what, why is he waiting? Why is he even like bringing up this idea of waiting? Waiting involves trust, right? Like do you trust in your sin that seems to hold you captive or do you trust that God will redeem you? Do you trust that God can deliver you? It's hard just to rest, though, and trust God will do something crazy in the midst of struggle, isn't it? Now, I'm the type of person, I don't know about y'all, but I'm the type of person that will always try to make something happen. If I'm in a place of struggle, I am going to try to get myself out. And if that means I'm in a miry pit that is, like, muddy, you better believe I'm going to keep trying to climb up the muddy pit and try and get myself out and try and do it myself. If God promises me that he's going to give me a ladder in a week, you better believe for seven days I'm going to be trying to climb myself out. And here we see God saying, trust. Trust me. Wait on me. Trust that I will redeem you. Trust that I will come. Trust that I will save you. Kind of reminds me a few weeks ago when we were talking about Moses and the rock, right? Like God said, hey, just speak to that rock and water will come out. And Moses is like, okay, water, right? And then nothing happens. And, and Moses gets like, kind of like, hey, hey, Lord, you're making me look bad in front of the Israelites and they've already been mocking me before and they already staged a few different coups. And so what does he do? He strikes it because that worked before. He's not waiting on God. He's not trusting God. And before we get all mad at Moses, it's like, that's us, right? Yeah. We need to trust more in who God is and less in who we are, and that requires us to wait. Because, friends, you trust that the sun will always rise, right? Like, you know this will happen. You have faith that the sun will rise tomorrow. If you wake up, now we may have the marine layer here, but you know that the sun is rising. It's not something you're going you're to think is not happening. The psalmist is looking to God with an intense understanding that, sin will not, uh, that the sun will not stay down. The sun will rise, and it will rise with healing in its wings. It's inevitable. In the same way, the deliverer will show up for the psalmist. That deliverer shows up for me, and he'll show up for you. Now, I've been afraid before watching out for my family, because I don't think that when you talk about the watchman, it's all about just trusting that the sun will come up, right? It's also yearning for the sun to come up, like hoping that eventually um, something will happen because you have fear in the night, right? When you think about the ancient times, we're talking about dark, dark cities where the watchman would sit at the gate and wait and hope that there wasn't uh, invading uh, armies coming. He was watching and he was hoping, Lord, don't let this happen on my watch, right? He's like, I don't want to be the guy who has to like yell out, get that first arrow in the gut. That's not who, who I want to be. So the watchman would watch and hope that nothing would happen. 
would hope that nothing would happen. And, and I think in the same way, um, we ha- have experienced that in our own way. So for me, um, I once had a time when people said that Pastor Dale might not be a pastor in the neighborhood. And they said, Pastor Dale might be a cop or a snitch. And I had someone come to me and say, hey, Pastor Dale, I need you to watch your back right now. And I was like, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? What do you mean watch my back? Am I okay? Like, am I saying, oh, you're safe, but just watch your back for a little while. And if I'm around, I'll watch your back, Pastor. I'm like, but you're not always around. I like to walk the streets and pray for people. And, and I remember that first day that this guy told me this. Um, one of my friends, you know, just OG on the block, just said, hey, just watch your back. There's a, there's a you know, a little bit of a rumor. And I remember uh, thinking, um, is my family unsafe because of this? And um, I remember going to bed at night, and um, you guys, our neighborhood's kind of loud, and our door is by the, or our window that I sleep in is by, is by the street. And every, you know, s- car that was slow by our house, every subwoofer just was terrifying to me. Because someone told me to watch my back. And so suddenly I'm like, well, I'm watching my back, the back of my family. And there came a certain point when I said, I just have to get up, right? And I just need to go sit by the door. And I'm just going to have uh, the blinds open because I just want to watch my family's back. And I can tell you that when I'm watching my family's back, um, you better believe I am, I cannot wait for the sunlight to come up, right? Because the, the things that are rough in most neighborhoods happen at night. And so when the, the sun would rise, I would feel a sense of peace that transcends understanding, a sense of my family is safe. And it was the next day that that guy came up to me. He's like, hey, pastor, we took care of it. I don't know what that means. I'm not going to look into it. Um, <laughs> but I felt better. In the same way, I've had police one time show up at my door, banging on the door, saying, hey, we got a 911 call here. Someone has a gun, and we pinged it to your house. And I'm like, what? And they're like, can we search your house? And I was like, yeah, okay. And um, I stayed up that night. We've had other nights with gunshots. I've stayed up those nights. The thing is, is because I feel like as a father, I have a responsibility, and I'm a watchman. And I can tell you that when I see the sunrise, I have so much joy, and I feel like we can move on to the next chapter the next day and find healing. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And so we wait in trust for our God, knowing that he is worth waiting for, knowing that when we try to fix things ourselves, it doesn't do anything. So you got to make sure that you do not think what appears to be God as slowness, um, that you may think that God's not caring, and I want you to know that that's not true. The Bible says that God is not slow, but God is patient. And so when you find yourself waiting like, Lord, when are you going to show up? All I know is that the Bible says he's patient. And, and, I, and I, I can talk to some of you who have gone through very hard things, and, I, and, and you can say, well, why was he patient here? And I can honestly tell you, I don't know. But I know that he's loving, and I know that he's patient. And then I see certain circumstances, and I'm like, I don't know how this fits in. But what I do know is he's loving, and he's patient, and he cares about you. And so we have our third ray of hope for hopeless sinners, um, and it's this. Uh, forgiveness is found in God. I know that's pretty basic, but it is important that we remind ourselves daily because I forget. What's interesting here is where it says, um, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Now, when I've done the work on the language here, the Hebrew is actually a word called yare, um, and I got a friend who's a pastor here. I'm probably saying it wrong, but when I looked at the word in Hebrew, it actually is often translated more as feared or dreaded. 
So, so think of it this way. But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be dreaded. And that's, that's a little different, isn't it? Uh, with you there is forgiveness so you may be feared. Well, why would forgiveness cause us to fear God? Like, is that a little weird to you? Because it is to me. Why would we fear or dread God because of his forgiveness? Um, so I'm going to try and like play it out for you just a little bit. There was this really bad movie in the 90s called Final Destination. Did anybody see that? No, of course not. It was so bad. <laughs> not one hand. This is terrible. Um, but <laughs> no one. All right. So here, this is what happens. At the beginning of the movie, the guy has a dream. And he has a dream that um, the airplane that he's about to get on crashes. It's a terrifying dream. He wakes up, and the dream was so intense that he's about to get on a plane, and all the things that happened in his dream right before he got on the plane happen again, exactly as if they were real. It's a horror movie. It's probably rated R. Your pastor's talking about a rated R movie, but it was a long time ago I saw it. So what he decides to do is he decides to not get on the plane. He decides, you know what? He kind of has a freak out, and I almost feel like they're not going to allow him on the plane anyway. And he talks like four of his friends into staying in the airport. And the plane takes off, and you see it rise, and then you see it explode and go down. And so this guy is left with his friends. And I think that even though he's been safe, he has a fear of what he's been rescued from. He has an awareness that he has been rescued from most certain death. And he's left wondering why. And I I feel like it's some way in the same way. Why would we fear God because of our forgiveness? Because we see what certain death would await us. Because we see that the plane was going down. Because we see that our sin was taking us down a path of drowning. And so for me, that causes me to fear in some ways, to have a healthy respect for who God is. And that's another way that we kind of think of fear in the Bible. Like we respect to a a level that is much higher than the the respect that we would use in our English language. We look and we see that we had certain death, and in Jesus, we have something better. We have forgiveness. This guy in the movie has understood how close to death he's come. And the psalmist does in the same way. But in God, he is forgiven. Like, that fear should give you the shivers. Like, you should have a little bit of a healthy respect that you deserve death, you deserve the grave, and instead you've been given everything, and you should get a little bit of that. That was my attempt at shivers, sorry. Um, That's the kind of fear and thanksgiving that the psalmist has here. He understands that he was close to death. Spurgeon, one last time, says this. What was the chief thing that moved the prodigal son to return to home to his father? Was it chiefly the distress and disgrace, the poverty, wherewith he was burdened, or the famine that almost caused him to starve? No. But the chief thing was this. He remembered that he had a loving father. Believers, you were this close to death, but now you live forever. And when he looks upon your struggles and your sins, he holds his hand out. He looks at the goodness of his son And he has a smile. He's not mad at you. He knew you were going to sin already anyway. So believers, you were this close to death. But but not yet believer. Those who, who would not call yourself a believer, I say to you this. Today is a gift, but tomorrow is not promised to you. And I encourage you to go and look within and ask yourself, how's it been working out when I have been doing this on my own? And perhaps is there a better father who cares for me enough 
that he would hold out his hand even when I'm drowning and pull me out even though I don't deserve it, even though I've entered into this almost catatonic state where I'm not moving, where he pulls me out of the water anyway. So how, how does he do this? For those of you who watch the night with fear and trepidation because you don't know if the sun is rising, I assume this blessing in verse 3 can feel like a death sentence. It says, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? Now, for those of you who don't know the word iniquities, it just means sin. It means those times that we have failed. It means those times we have chosen our own way over God. But here's the good news. We, we use a term called the gospel. And the gospel is very simply this, that you have a debt to God, that you have sinned against him, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. If there were, an, if there were a target here, you have missed the target. And so God, in his love, sent his son Jesus to the earth for you. Jesus himself came to earth, left the perfection of heaven, and lived a sinless life here on earth. And you have to remember the perfection of heaven versus earth where you get the flu, where you get sick, where you stub your toe, where people talk bad about you, where people pull out your beard, where people spit on you, where people put you on a cross and murder you. Like there's a pretty big difference there. And so when he willingly left heaven to come to this earth, he was saying how much he loved you. He was saying how much he cared for you. And then after he died on the cross, he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death as a sign that he has overcome your sin. He's overcome your death so you might have relationship with him, that you might be a part of the kingdom of God. What good news is that? Yeah, amen. Come on. So let me, let me close with this. In the 1830s, on the last day of July, Many who had been held in slavery by England and the West Indian colonies did not sleep that evening, the evening before August 1st. Um, because in the old days, we would always do these stupid things where war would go to the perfect day or that we would release someone on the perfect day. Once again, they decided August 1st sounds nice. So people were held in slavery for, for a while until the day that it was to come. August 1st was the day they would be free men and women. That night, those who some would call slaves, and we would say they were human beings held in slavery, those people worshipped. They prayed. They sang together as they anxiously waited for the sun to rise again with healing in his wings. But they didn't just wait for the sun to rise. They sent out scouts. They sent them out so that they could go to the nearby hills and look for the first sign of light, the first sign of freedom. So they could let the people down the hill know they were not only free in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of their government. They were no longer possessions. They were free, and they waited for that sunrise with hope. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your whole life, I urge you to do it today. Let him know you've tried it your way, and you would like to trust him this way. Friends, you have been a slave to sin. We have been slaves to sin. You've been wading in deep waters and you've often found yourself deep down looking up with no hope, no understanding of where even the light is, where even the top of the water is. You have found yourself in this catatonic state feeling like there is no hope. And I want to tell you today, there is hope in Jesus. And out of the depths, he can save you from your sin. Out of the depths, he can save you from your struggle, from your hurt and your pain. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. He only sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. What a cool thing. 
That when you mess up, when you screw up, when you do everything wrong, because you know you do, because we all do it. There might be some like pretty perfect people in here, but like yours is just a deeper sin that like only you can figure out. Um, <laughs> but the, no matter how much we mess up, there is a father who loves us in heaven that looks down upon us and he sees the perfection of his son Jesus and he pronounces you good. And so today we celebrate that good news. When we sing these songs, when we raise our hands in the sky, when we confess our sins to God, it's because we know we have a good father who's not kicking a chair because we did something wrong. But he's saying, cool, okay, I love you. Let's keep getting this right. It's all right. What a good dad. What a good dad. And there's hope in Jesus. And so I urge you to accept him today. And, and that being said, now is the time that those of us who consider ourselves Christians, we confess to God. And so in this moment, in the silence of your heart, let's confess our sins to God, knowing that there is forgiveness that is found in him. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And uh, we thank you that no matter how sinful we've been, no matter how much we've pretended that we're not sinful, and all the places in between, that you have looked upon us and seen your son's righteousness. You haven't seen our struggle, our pain, and thought that we were not worthy to receive honor and glory. But instead, you gave us the glory of your son so that we might be forgiven. That is such good news. As far as the east is from the west, so is our sin from your sight. You proclaim us good. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name.